about to hear my conversation with Dustin Reed. We talk all about the Bank of Canada's recent decision, what it might mean to investors, as well as the new inflation data out of the U.S. And we also get into what they're doing in the portfolios. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schneer, and I'm back with our fixed income strategist, Dustin Reed. Dustin, welcome back. Hey, Matt. Thanks very much for having me back. Uh, we've, we had you back today specifically uh, in order to get your reaction from yesterday's Bank of Canada uh, meeting. Headline is, uh, as expected, uh, no change in the, uh, the interest rate. Uh, I'd love to hear uh, what you took from that meeting and, and uh, what you're thinking about today. Yeah, for sure. So I think uh, I think the bank's always interesting, and uh, I think at this point in in the cycle where you're getting, at, you know, at the end or close to the end of of the hiking cycle, um, you know, these inflection points are always always fun to I think pick apart and and think about what what might be next. So the bank, you know, as you mentioned, uh, did hold yesterday. I think I think most people, if not almost everybody, uh, expected expected that to happen. So the bank is. Holding the policy rate at four and a half percent, where it's been for the last few months, and uh, and this is the April meeting for the bank, so it was a it was a forecast round for the bank. Uh, so we had the press conference after, uh, as as the bank does on every other meeting with the forecast round with with the governor and the senior deputy governor. Um, <clears throat> I think I think there's a couple interesting things coming out of the bank, particularly the the formal statement and the last paragraph in the formal statement, which talked about the idea. That um, they would come back and continue to hike rates if the if inflation didn't necessarily get down to two uh, percent. And Macklem actually during the press conference talked about the idea that um, they may get getting to they may get to getting between three to two is going to be very very challenging. So once they get below three percent and getting to two percent on the annual is going to be challenging. And that's kind of a, a Essentially, the tagline that we've had for a while. I mean, we've said it slightly differently. This is kind of a derivative of that, but our our tagline was, you know, in the round for North America, so kind of Canada and U.S. combined. You know, getting from eight to five is going to be one thing. We're, we're kind of there, right? Um, getting from five to two is going to be another. So Macklem took a, a similar a similar tone using different numbers. You know, getting getting from three to two. And there's been this chat, I think, within global markets. You can apply it to the U.S. or Canada. You know, a few other spots. This idea of, you know, what happens when inflation gets to, or what if inflation headline on the annual gets to maybe three and a half or three percent? Are they really going to keep rates at that extended level, that heightened level, and/or hike rates and cause a lot more maybe economic malaise just to get it to two percent? Because at the end of the right. day, two percent is a target. It's it's you know it's it's just a number. It's so, you know it's someone's forecast, and the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. Generally, is credited with this coming up with this in the early '90s in terms of price targeting or inflation targeting, and they they or it picked two percent, and a lot of other central banks have followed. So you know, two percent is important, and you can definitely argue from a monetary perspective that that is 
uh, you know, that's that's a good number to have some sort of healthy, low single-digit inflation in an economy. But um, you know, two percent is just a number. Anyway, so all to come back to the question, I think that um, you know, I think the bank is on hold here for a bit unless there's. Uh, either a some very surprising upside data, which would suggest that the bank needs to go higher towards five percent, right. uh, or there's going to be some sort of banking accident or issue, which would obviously take it the other way. Um, <clears throat> the market currently has just checking before we got on the on the call here. Um, <clears throat> the market's pricing thirty three basis points uh, of easing for the bank. Uh, through the end of the year, so there's a little bit, it's a little bit priced in, and it's pretty linear. It's not a, it's not a step function that all, all of a sudden you know there's nothing, and then all of a sudden shows up in the final couple meetings of the year in Q4. It is, it is somewhat, it is somewhat linear. So, and I think that that's interesting because the bank also said um, that it is expecting to be an uh, excess supply. The economy is expecting to be expected to be an excess supply later this year, and that's interesting. So the bank uh, is is very focused. Um, some would say overly focused on the idea of uh, capacity utilization. And it sounds a bit academic, but uh, capacity utilization and is the economy uh, operating above full capacity. Uh, below full capacity or at, you know at equilibrium so to speak kind of just just you know the sweet spot where it should be and if the if the bank is suggesting that the economy could fall into excess supply um, as opposed to excess demand uh, later this year that would in in theory set up the idea that there should be uh, at least the discussion or maybe not actual implementation but the uh, discussion around easing rates. And that's right. interesting to me because you have the final paragraph, like I started off the comment with, um, talking that the next, the risk to the next move is is more, not less, higher, not lower. But at the same time, the bank's also talking about potentially excess supply later in the year. So those two things don't necessarily go together. I mean, you can obviously have I mean, every everything you know, things don't necessarily move linearly, so you can have obviously more upside and then have to make up for that by maybe having more downside on rates. But that I think that I think is quite interesting. So this 33 or so basis points that's priced in to the market for later this year, I think might have might have um, some some validity. And we've just had uh, actually just just coming into the call here, um, the IMF uh, World Bank spring meetings are happening in DC. And uh, Macklem was actually just speaking just before we got on. And uh, <clears throat> he was once again kind of reiterating that final paragraph tone that, uh, you know, if, if things get sticky and they have trouble getting to their 2% target, that more might have to be done. So I don't, I don't think that the bank wants to completely close the door on the end of the rate hiking cycle. And this, the bank here is looking more and more to me like a, a conditional pause. And maybe the bank never comes back to it and this, this hiking cycle is done and the next move ends up being an easing. That could very well be the case. Right. But Macklem and the tone here, at least in the near term, clearly, at least to me, do, do not want to close the door on maybe having having to come back. And obviously... You know the banking situation, non-bank financial situation domestically in the U.S., globally, uh, how oil trades, how the dollar trades, uh, obviously how the economy performs, and how sticky inflation is, are all 
all metrics as to how I think the bank is going to be looking at how to um, evolve policy going forward. Of course, you know, in addition to what's always important is what what the Fed may or may not be doing. Sure. Um, you know, on <laughs> south of the border. So anyway, that's kind of what I think of the, the bank. Um, so we're at four and a half and we're comfortable with kind of this higher for longer. Banks wants to be banks probably on hold for the majority of the year at four and a half. Uh, unless something really odd happens uh, on the upside, in which case they'll move maybe to four and three quarters or even five, or there's a, a banking or non-bank financial issue and the bank would cut, I would think, significantly, probably not tweaking at 25. I mean, it would probably be, probably be chunky uh, cuts at that point right. if it was a very serious situation. That makes a lot of sense, Dustin. Um, just a, a quick question, um, and you sort of hit this, uh, but just to come back to it, I guess, mm-hmm. um, if there is uh, excess supply and that's where we're headed, yeah. um, how impactful would a additional rate hike be to uh, curtail inflation at that point in time? Cause in my mind, yeah. that's sort of the, like the bank is doing its job. Right. If it is cooling down the economy enough that you have excess supply, yeah. you know, are those additional rate cuts effective at that point? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think, I mean, I think depending on how things are going, there's obviously an easy caveat to throw out there. I mean, it could probably be significantly into excess uh, restrictive territory. Sometimes at the April um, Bank of Canada meeting, which we just obviously had, and it's a forecast meeting, the bank sometimes revises its um, its estimate of the neutral rate, which is currently uh, right. a range of 2 to 3% or, or 2 to 300 basis points. There was some talk going into the meeting that the bank would uh, revise that uh, again uh, and, and presumably a little bit higher, um, but that did not happen. Um, but that kind of dovetails to the question, uh, I, pro- probably the majority at the bank um, – at least decision makers at the bank think that two to three percent is the appropriate uh, neutral range for for policy, and so at four and a half, four hundred and fifty basis points, um, probably in you know well into restrictive territory for the economy. Right. Um, so that so to your question, if you're entering a period of excess supply and you're moving even further into restrictive territory, at maybe four and three quarters or five, um, I think that would have pretty outsized. Uh, impact. And I also just kind of anecdotally, I mean, obviously, can't, everyone knows Canada's pretty high beta economy um, yeah, is, sure. is very sensitive on the housing side. We're a lot more rate sensitive here than we are on the, than, sorry, than the US is. And anecdotally, I'm picking up the notion that this next 25 or 50 basis points in the bank policy rate would have like to four and three quarters or 5% would have a really significant outsized impact, kind of getting back to your question on on homeowners and particularly mortgage mortgage holders, um, right. that t- extra twenty five or fifty is really going to put a number of people either at on or over over the the line on on uh, on housing and payments. And i i think the I think the bank is aware of that, and I think the bank would prefer to not go there. So obviously, there's a bit of a hope and pray quote unquote strategy happening here that you know four and a half percent. Higher for longer will be enough to get inflation to uh, recede uh, and slow, and obviously the labor market to slow uh, as well. But yeah, I do think you know, to your question, I think uh, those those uh, those increases would be significant if we are clearly heading towards not necessarily a recession per se, but uh, at least a period of, of excess supply as the bank would uh, measure it. 
Right. Okay. Well, that's that's great on Canada. Why don't we uh, turn our focus uh, down south? Sure. Um, and we had uh, inflation data out of the U.S. Uh, yesterday. Yeah. Uh, headline number uh, looked like uh, inflation uh, was easing a fair amount. What was your take on uh, inflation, and, and what impact do you think that might have on uh, the upcoming Fed uh, decision? Yeah, for sure. So there's there's a lot there's a lot I think in there. Um, I think overall my takeaway is that inflation in the u.s seems to be once again slowing a bit although we're coming off a very frothy period and core right. inflation clearly remains elevated on not only a monthly basis but an annual basis and the fed and particularly the hawks uh, so to speak at the fed would not be overly comfortable with that at all so headline inflation printed 0.1 on the month, which was a little below expectations, which I think was 0.2. Uh, when you take it out to a few decimal places, it rounded up to 0.1 and actually wasn't far away from rounding down to 0.0, which would have been un- or 0.0, which would have been unchanged, obviously. Uh, and then the core rate rounded up as well to 0.4, as opposed to rounding down to 0.4. And these are just little minutiae things that people that are watching this would would be looking for. Um, but 0.4 was expected uh, from a uh, from market uh, consensus uh, perspective on on the core level. Uh, this this core services X shelter uh, sub subline or subcomponent that the Fed has picked up since early this year um, slowed. Uh, from a little bit over 0.4 the previous month, uh, the February data, to a little bit under 0.3 uh, for this print, the March data printing in in uh, April, obviously. Uh, and so that that's constructive. And we're seeing some of these big weights on the shelter side, uh, OER, owner's equivalent rent, and uh, rent, outright rent, uh, slow. Both of them, I believe, slowed to uh 0.5 on the month um, from a, a 0.7 or 0.8 uh, the previous month for for those uh, for those indices. So still high for sure, and you know an annual run rate of around six percent, which is not nothing. It's it's significant of course. on a yeah. 20 or 30 year look back. But obviously coming off of this frothy uh, period of inflation that we've had, it is directionally. It is, you know, it's obviously lower, and it's it's it is it is slowing. There's this uh, long stand, I mean, a somewhat long standing debate about the calculation of um, some of the shelter data uh, in in the index, particularly the rent data, um, in in how it's calculated. So, if you look at some of the real time data that you can get on rents um, on on the web, just general general websites that I think everybody would would look at. Uh, maybe not every city, but generally for the country, I think rents would be showing that they are they are slowing, particularly in the last little bit with this higher for longer rates and uh, and that sort of thing. I mean, Miami's obviously doing very very well, and rents in New York are pretty hot, from my understanding. Just chatting with friends there, and, but but generally across the country, it seems to be it seems to be slowing. But that hasn't really been showing up in the data at least until may, maybe this week, and we were actually just talking about it as a team um, earlier. Uh, you know, is this the beginning of actually seeing this data slow down? What we think we know about the anecdotal data uh, actually showing up in the index and getting reflected in the index, because the way that the rent stuff is getting calculated in the index, it's extremely lagged. And so you're not seeing uh, as real time slowing in the, how, the the shelter rent data that that you would that you would expect. So the data this week, the data, the April data that we sorry, the March data that we got in April, um, Maybe the beginning of 
a change in tone and a change in, frankly, uh, numerics that uh, suggest that we're going to see that that level come down. But then, uh, you know, as I was saying to the the crew this morning, a lot of it depends on the Fed because the Fed has kind of adopted this uh, core services uh, CPI x shelter. So even if shelter is slowing, uh, or even we get to a point where it's declining, if the Fed is focused on that mantra as how to, uh, in in a way of how to uh, look at, you know, the policy function going forward and how inflation should, you know, be treated going forward, then it, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but it doesn't have as big an impact or it doesn't have as big a weight. But the Fed has the luxury of kind of moving back and forth on themes and it might be looking at one theme this quarter and it might be looking at another theme another quarter and maybe maybe it doesn't want to look at core services x shelter as significantly anymore because shelter's not a, a significant uh, upside weight to the index and it's actually falling so maybe they want to take that right. more into account right so so I think that's kind of the, the CPI view. Um, I, th- I think there might be a little bit more downside just on the overall side, but we've had a pretty big run here in oil prices because we had the uh, JMMC meeting with the surprise uh, OPEC uh, uh, change in supply, uh, which, right. which caught a lot of people uh, off guard. And then when you include the Russia the Russia cuts, it's about 1.6 million barrels a day, which is not not insignificant. The Russia component of that's about half a million, which we knew before. And then and then uh, OPEX through JMMC basically did 1.1, 1.2 million. So right. call it 1.6. Um, and that that's that's had a significant impact on oil, which obviously has a significant on gasoline prices at the pump. Um, hasn't been massively higher, but it's definitely directionally higher. And that feeds through relatively real time into inflation. So I, I wonder what inflation is going to, headline inflation particularly, is going to look like for the April data that we get in May, um, which will be after the the FOMC meeting, to be fair. Um, and this, uh, this fixing market, the CPI fixing market, which is a small niche traded market where you can trade the non-seasonally adjusted CPI data as it, as it relates to uh, the uh, real return bonds and tips uh, market, um, is uh, last time I checked, to be fair, it was a couple of days ago, um, was still pricing uh, a, a 0.4 or 0.5, I think, for for the... May headline data. So uh, this is not going to be a linear thing, and oil can can whip around the the headline data for sure, and st- and core remains elevated on an annual basis and sticky. So all that to say, you know, I think the Fed is going to. I think there's enough evidence this week in the CPI data to keep the Fed on track for. 25 basis points, uh, 25 basis point hike at the May meeting. Uh, the market's currently pricing around 19 of that 25, give or take. Okay. So around uh, around 80% probability of 25 in the round. Um, and it'll it'll bounce around a bit until until we get to the third of May when when the Fed uh, has its announcement in the afternoon. I think the question is becoming June, which will be a forecast round for the Fed. And um, you know, is May the last in the in the cycle? Uh, I guess the question set would be: Is May the last in the cycle? Is May not the last in the cycle? Is it a conditional pause, kind of RBA, and then pseudo BOC 
Um, or is Powell going to leave the door open and really going to uh, suggest that uh, people should be keeping an eye on on the June on the June data? Uh, sorry, on the June on the June meeting because of the data. So the Fed. The Fed's official forecast has one more from median dot perspective. So if they do 25 in May, the Fed will effectively be at its forecast that it released in December and then effectively reiterated in March after the SVB um, fallout. So anything after that would require a change in in forecast. And I, I'm not I'm not picking up just people who I speak with that there's a lot of appetite at this point for another hike in June. I think that could change, uh, particularly if the labor market remains strong and if the CPI data and and some of the other data, and particularly the ECI data, which is the wages data that the Fed really, really likes, which I think we get the Q1 data at the end of um, April before the May meeting, to be fair. Uh, if, if some of that data continues to come in hot, then I don't think the Fed necessarily wants to completely give up and just looking we've talked about this on the team a little bit but the june the june contract for the fomc is uh, either flat to may or maybe one basis point so very very small probability and i like i was saying to the team i don't i don't think it should be 25 basis points i shouldn't be necessarily pricing a full hike but um at least at this point from where i sit and where i think the board might be i Zero looks low. There's probably a higher probability. I mean, it probably should be 30, 35, 40% probability of a 25 basis point hike, maybe 30, 35%. So having nothing or one basis point is, um, it it seems a bit low. Yeah, that should probably be around eight to 10 basis points just to kind of apples to apples. So, So that's interesting from a front end of the curve perspective, because if that starts to get baked into the cake, then the front of the curve may need to come a little bit a little bit higher, and um, you know we've seen the dollar selling off the last little bit, um, and that might put a little bit more of a bid back into the dollar. But um, but from more of a just an economics macro uh, perspective, I think I think the Fed. Uh, I, I think there are at least two camps in the Fed. There are those that are going to point to core inflation and say this we've got a long way to go here. Um, higher for longer at a minimum and maybe even higher rates. They'll have another set that'll say, well, things are easing, things are slowing. You look at the jolts data, you look at uh, some of the CPI metrics that I just went through a minute ago and they'll say, okay, well, this is where, this is the directionality of where things are going. So we don't necessarily need to uh, hike rates and we may not need to necessarily be higher for longer. So I think we're going to have uh, at least two camps, if not three, in terms of commentary coming out of coming out of the Fed, and you've seen it with even the, the Fed district uh, speakers this week with Goldsby, who's former senior Obama uh, ad, and, and Biden admin um, person on the economic side, who's now the Chicago uh, Fed president, who has a vote this year. Uh, r- relatively dovish earlier this week, and maybe wouldn't even advocate for a uh, a May hike. Uh, and then you've okay. got Kashkari, who I think is also who is also a voter, but um, would would also vote for sorry would would vote for a hike. So you're definitely seeing a bit of a split. And uh, but that again, like I was saying earlier, you see that at inflection points in the cycle. And I think we're we're at clearly at that inflection point or getting to that inflection point of there's two way there's real two way risk. You can generally say, yeah, I'm concerned about ABC and rates should be higher, and and I'm concerned about you know XYZ 
and, and rates should be rates should be lower. And uh, I think that's going to be very much to a market and to a dialogue here for the next little bit. That's a great commentary, great uh, overview of uh, where the Fed is, where inflation is. Uh, I'm curious, uh, you sort of mentioned the two-way street and um, risks on both sides. Yep. How are you interpreting all of this uh, in the context of uh, the portfolios? There's a, lot, there's a lot to watch, that's for sure. Uh, it's, uh, sure. You know, we came out of that, I think the last time we did this this podcast, it was a couple of weeks after SVB, and we were, we were coming out of this very, very volatile rates, high, high rates volatility, where the move index was actually higher um, than March 2020, which was obviously the very early and, and dark days of the, uh, of the pandemic. Um, right. And uh, we saw a lot more volatility this round in rates than we did in FX or equities. And rates seem to be kind of the center of where the, the volatility was playing out. So, you know, I think like I was saying, maybe last time, maybe even the time before that, um, trying to keep our some of these trades relatively short term, very short term, particularly for how, how normally I would say real money, uh, Canadian real money would, would trade. I think I think with vol having come off here, we're a little more comfortable lengthening out um, ideas. So so kind of picking tops and, and lows or tops and bottoms in uh, in the front end of the curve. Um, you know, we we did a lot of that in and out of that uh, on the U.S. side, uh, on the Canadian side, a little bit on the European side. Um, I, th- I think a lot a lot of those trades are essentially essentially done uh, here. I mean, I I think we're getting closer to the end of the cycle. I mean, every day that passes, that's probably that's pr- hiking cycle. I mean, every day that passes, that I mean, that's just accounting. That's just you know, that's that's an obvious statement in one way. It's a factual statement sure. in one way. Uh, but from a you know, how, how is this actually evolving? Are we getting close to the end of the cycle? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I don't see the Fed really going much past June if they go in June. Um, and, uh, and, and that, and that I think is important because I think this long awaited steepener trade is close, uh, closer and, and maybe even upon us. And we've been talking about this internally, uh, on the team for a while now, since, since Q4, since kind of late-ish Q4. And we've done parts of it at times, but not necessarily the steepener trade and having it on and having it on in size yet. But I think that that's an interesting trade, whether you look at it from a 10s, 30s perspective or a 5s, 30s perspective, um, either in Canada or the US. I think, I think both, I think both can, can make, can make some sense. Um, you know, we've been, uh, uh, we've been looking at the long end, long end a fair bit as well, obviously in terms of the duration call and, uh, generally been, uh, Generally been a little bit a little bit short of benchmark, uh, sh- not short duration, but short uh, versus the benchmark on duration, um, and uh, I think that that's 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 been that's been okay. But uh, you know, if these if these rent numbers fall off really really quickly, just kind of taking like the economics and tying it to markets, if if the rent numbers and OER numbers and the CPI fall off relatively quickly, uh, and the Fed decides to kind of dump this idea of uh, core services X CPI, sorry, core services CPI X shelter as as kind of the the running the running theme um, for how it's looking at inflation, then you could see a really big move in the back end of the curve, and I think that uh, that steepener trade would be really really interesting and really profitable. So we're spending a fair bit of time kind of looking at that and and understanding how to how to do that from a credit perspective. We mean relatively. 
um, a, a lower exposure uh, in terms of our overall credit exposure. Getting a little bit more concerned about slower growth in the in the later part of this year and into 24, and also with with some uh, some of the maturity wall uh, issues. Um, and on dollar CAD, which is always interesting exposure, I think for us, uh, dollar CAD has been interesting. You know, yesterday was uh, interesting. Wednesday, you had, uh, I'm just talking about this with the team this morning, actually. You had, you had an interesting setup where you had, uh, you know, pro- probably generally seen a weaker than expected CPI, generally. And you had a Bank of Canada that was probably a little bit more hawkish than expected on the margin. Right. And so kind of just textbook stuff you would expect dollar Canada to trade lower on that, right? Weaker dollar and stronger Canada, right? And you didn't really see a lot of follow through on that yesterday. And that's within an an environment of a a generally weaker US dollar, which was interesting to us um, because we're relatively neutral on our our hedge exposure for dollar Canada as a FX currency throughout the portfolio, broadly speaking. and so I was look, looking at that and sometimes what, as I like to say, what isn't said or, or the, what, what the prices or prices don't do tells you just as much or even more than what you're getting across, you know, news wires or, or from, or from sources. And when you see things that should set up to be constructive directionally for anything, but in this case, Dollar Canada in, in one direction, lower. And that doesn't happen, it, you know, at least for me, I sit back and I think, okay, why, why is that not happening? What, you know, what am I missing, I guess, first of all, but sure. kind of beyond that, you know, why, like, why is that not happening? And, you know, does that telling you a bigger story? And does that mean that, um, you know, the weaker U.S. dollar story may not actually tra- translate through for Dollar Canada. So we're thinking about that uh, a little bit. G- generally, sitting in neutral in the in the portfolio, and uh, and that's obviously uh, you know always not 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 a make or break for us because we don't take a huge amount of, of overlay uh, or or alpha currency risk. We take some when we when we have a strong view, but we don't. We don't, it's not we're not going to make or break our year on. Uh, on, on, on FX will we'll make or break our year on on rates our, our core function and, right. and the and the Japan trade I think also is still a very very key part of our book it's um, it's a, I would say it's still an outsized position we've got the new governor that's now in place as of this past weekend and some of the initial commentary over the fir- his first couple days in in the seat uh, seemed to push away from the idea of, of the bank doing anything um, surprise or maybe not surprise at its meeting Meeting later uh, this month, later April, there had been some talk two or three weeks ago, and the buzz really came back into the market uh, that uh, something could get done in terms of tweaking the yield, con- yield curve control uh, program. Um, that seems to be fading uh, a little bit. We saw the ten-year JGB move not all the way up to the ceiling, but a lot closer to the ceiling, uh, close to mid forties, forty-five, forty-six, forty-seven basis points. Um, and uh, so that that continues to be a, a key focus for us. So I am starting to think that April may not be as live as I thought it was, although a surprise is always possible. Uh, but the June or and or the July meeting is possible. I still really like that that Japanese government bond, the JGB, so to speak, trade, and we are um, you know still short futures. Uh, so lower lower prices, higher yields, and I think that the bank will, right. at the right time, uh, tweak its yield curve control program and uh, and probably tweak it to seventy five basis point ceiling, if not if not even higher. And uh, 
I'm comfortable having having that that short that short duration risk on. But we've been the, the lens with which we've been looking at the JGB short, the Japanese government bond short, is a little bit different now than maybe two or three months ago. Whereas before, there was kind of everything else, and then there's Japan uh, because it was such a one-off event. Now I think the Japan story, you can kind of melt that a little bit with the overall global uh, yield story. So we're looking at the Japan short duration trade as what do we have as part of the overall duration trade and managing our, our total duration as you know, keeping that more in mind as opposed to kind of a one-off macro uh, special event. And I think that's, that's a, a really good way of looking at, at, at the, uh, at the JGP trade as, as not, o- not only on its own from an alpha generating uh, trade, but also from a portfolio management context. So yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, those are some of the things that we're kind of thinking about and, uh, and have on and, uh, continue to look at. It's going to still be a two hands on the wheel. I know I, I use that expression a lot, but I still, it's very sure. data focused um, market. Uh, it's a very fickle market. Uh, I mean, even yesterday after CPI, we saw two year yields, I think, I think a move by 14 or 17 basis points after the release and then retrace the entire move. I mean, these are still, <laughs> these are still big moves and it still necessitates a, a two hands on the wheel type environment. But, you know, with every day, every week that passes and we don't have another banking issue or non-bank financial issue, um, I think people are getting a little bit more comfortable putting on lots of trades. Anecdotally, you know, I think the hedge fund community is probably running I don't know, probably somewhere between 20 and 40% of max allocation, i.e. the leverage, okay. leverage community doesn't have a lot of uh, risk on the table because it's, it, it is just not comfortable having stuff on because it probably recognizes as well that it's a very short-term uh, data-driven uh, market that can change and pivot very, very quickly. And I, I, would, I would agree with that. I mean, I think that's kind of just kind of my, my feel of where of where the team is. I think, um, you know, we have we definitely have risk on as, as we always do, but uh, we're not even close to max capacity risk um, right. just because uh, the, the, the trading is very short term tactical, short term tactical mm-hmm. alpha. And uh, and things can change, I think, really, really quickly. And uh, there are a number of paths uh, with uh, with which the um, markets and the economy can evolve here, I think, over uh, over 2023. So, you know, as we get more comfortable with how we think things will evolve, we'll be we'll, we'll probably up up our kind of risk taking um, to, you know, to higher levels. But that's kind of where we are now, I would say. Well, Dustin, thanks uh, for walking through that. And thanks again for being on the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. Always good to be here. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.